Hello and welcome to this Alliance Live podcast for Self-Management Week on Digital Inclusion. Today I am joined by Kirsty McNeil from Aberdeen Foy Impact Project, Una Brown from the Scottish Commission for Learning Disability and Erin Slater from the Scottish Council for Voluntary Organisations to discuss six provocations around digital inclusion and their experiences of it since the pandemic began. The first provocation is, what are the main ways that digital inclusion impacts the people that you support? Um, I mean, I can um, I can kick us off. So, um, I don't know if you know Kirsty. I'm I'm in I work for a Scottish Commission for People with Learning Disabilities, um, and one of the things that we've um, noticed during um, the time of COVID is that it stopped um, a lot of people with learning disabilities and and having being able to access vital supports. So, for example, during lockdowns, individuals that were digitally excluded couldn't um, get access to things like online shopping, taking part in, in groups, speaking to their friends and family. Um, I think it's kind of important that we we know that during lockdown we've all become kind of increasingly reliant on technology to stay in touch with our friends and family and networks of support. But for people who are with learning disabilities who are digitally excluded, um, some of that's not not so possible. I think um, as well as that, one of the kind of key examples most recently is um, around the new Protect Scotland app, which is a which is a great thing and and is really important and welcome. But at the same time, it potentially does exclude people with learning disabilities who might not have access to something like a smartphone. Mm-hmm. So um, there was a survey done um, by Ofcom in 2018, and that showed that 47% of people with a disability don't have a smartphone, as compared with um, 19% of the general population. So I think there is, you know, know, important elements around that to think about. Kirsty, would you like to kind of come in and um, tell us how it's it's impacted your people? So you're kind of working face to face with people. Yeah, so Aberdeen work mainly face to face um, when group work and one to one when it comes to all of our services. And we didn't use any digital ways of communication really before this and so when we went completely remote pretty much overnight um a lot of our clients and group members couldn't receive that support whether it be from their um, counselor or the people who are helping with their education or in our case um the group work that we were doing and so there was a lot of people who couldn't join in with that like you were saying as well you know they aren't able to order food if they are shielding um, and it was really stressful for them and I think even being able to offer that uh, device to them it was a really stressful situation for them to come to terms with changing the way that we worked uh, when it all first happened Um, and so it added to a lot of anxieties there as well. Um, Erin, I don't know if you want to kind of add to that. I know that you work for SCVO, so it's maybe slightly less direct that that for you. But um, is there anything that you kind of would like to speak to that? It's I suppose working for SCVO and we we in turn support organisations that are working with the end users. So we have kind of like a second hand view of um, the impact of not being digitally included. Um, I suppose one of the benefits of that in our role is that we see kind of a wide range of different groups uh, through the organisations we work with um, and just kind of that there's varying different levels of digital exclusion and what that means for people. Um, 
And I think certainly kind of our, one of our big reflections is our team's essentially got two parts. One is digital evolution, which is supporting organizations around kind of digital service delivery. And the other is digital inclusion, which I work on. Um, and it's kind of that reflection and seeing, especially since lockdown, the move to online digital service delivery, um, as most organizations' hands were forced to do that. Um, and that kind of first kind of month or two, focus on what does digital service delivery look like? Um, and then kind of that um, realization of, okay, if we've now moved our services online, the next part is actually, how do we make sure the people that we're delivering these services to are able to access them and that they're online as well? Um, so it's been it's been quite interesting from my point of view just to see that kind of how that process played out for organizations in terms of movement to digital service delivery. Um, but I suppose in terms of impact um, uh, and those that aren't digitally included, um, it's just that I think it's just how, and I can see it myself, how, you know, if you're digitally confident, you take so much for granted um, and how easy it is to neglect or forget about people who aren't digitally included uh, in terms of how you're designing or delivering your services and um, how you put messages out there and um, how you support people it's just that and it is and it's very easy to do um, and i think we all do to some extent and it's just being aware of that that some people literally have no experience of turning on a device you you know you're starting at the very basics of this is what an internet enabled device is this is what the internet is um, and this is kind of how you navigate the internet. So I think it's, yeah, I think it's it's a complex picture. Um, but I think, you know, and you know, haven't seen the work that the voluntary sector and you know, public sector in Scotland has done over the last few months, you know, come on tremendously in terms of digital engagement. Thank you. Um, so the next provocation is what has been the biggest change you've seen since the beginning of lockdown for the people that you support? Um, and I think this is something that you've all kind of touched on, but is there anything else that you'd like to add um, specifically on this provocation? Um, I'll kick us off with that if you like, if that's okay. Um, for us, one major thing, I mean, obviously there was a lot of isolation and the things that everyone in the country went through. Um, but when it came to delivering online, one thing that has changed as lockdown's gone on from the beginning to now is people's willingness to get involved with online work. So in the beginning, when we all went into lockdown and we were trying to move people onto online, they were anxious about it. And at the same time, sort of thinking I could maybe go a couple of weeks without that support. But as it stretched on, being more willing to get involved with our training and different activities that we've put up there and so it's had positives and negatives for people because they've learned a lot of skills um, and been more open to learning those skills and as well one major thing that we've realized has been different for everyone working online and anyone taking part in anything is the boundaries because our clients are in our house and we're in theirs um, some of us maybe don't have a study, so you're you're delivering from your bedroom. And so working out as well how we feel and they feel about that. Um, and that's been a major change for them, definitely. I think um, for me, probably uh, the biggest change I've seen since the beginning of lockdown or kind of a key reflection is that we, we work with digital inclusion, that's kind of what our team does. 
but this, thinking about the digital divide and how that grew since lockdown. Um, so for me, the big change was people who were, uh, who would probably define as digitally included pre-lockdown uh, by virtue of access in either devices or connectivity uh, in libraries or community centres or housing association offices um, no longer had those options. So the digital divide has grown massively because of lockdown. Um, so not only does lockdown actually create a greater need for people to be able to be access services digitally, it's also made that gap so much wider as well in terms of how many people are unable to do that. Um, so that's it was quite, you know, it's quite a significant shift in the digital inclusion landscape uh, caused by lockdown. Um, Una, are you wanting to add something? Yeah, um, I think for people with learning disabilities, what's kind of been the biggest change for them since lockdown um, has been a kind of lack of and a removal of support. Um, in June this year, um, SCLD published findings from our survey of people with learning disabilities in Scotland um, about their experiences during the pandemic. And that surveyed 127 people with learning disabilities and 223 um, families and carers. Um, and it identified several areas of change, but the biggest one was about people having their support removed. 64% um, of people with learning disabilities said that their support had either changed or stopped and that this led to a significant loss in their independence. So um, particularly in the beginning of lockdown, what we heard a lot about was people having to move out of their homes where they lived independently because they weren't able to get home-based support and having to move maybe back in with their parents or family. So a real kind of feeling of um, the support, which can at times for people with learning disabilities be quite hard one. Um, people with learning disabilities often have to work quite hard um, to become independent or um, you know challenge some of the barriers um, to access their independence. So that was one of the one of the big kind of initial things. Throughout and during lockdown, um, another thing that we became increasingly aware of was around increased social isolation. So 75% of people with learning disabilities who responded to the survey said that they were more socially isolated than they were um, prior to the restrictions. Um, and this had a really negative impact on people's mental health. 25% of people um, said that the restrictions had put, um, had placed, had made them, had really had a kind of detrimental impact on their mental health. One of the things just, um, I guess it goes back to the kind of earlier point around the impacts of digital exclusion. One of the things that we became increasingly aware of throughout the pandemic was the impact that not having access to digital devices was having on people's mental health. And um, a person that we work with um, who gave me permission to um, reflect on their story today um, during lockdown didn't have access to a digital device and found themselves becoming increasingly um, isolated from their friends, their partner and people who they would see on a kind of general day to day basis and became um, increasingly depressed and actually um, on numerous occasions, you know, thought about ending their life. And I think um, and while throughout lockdown they were able to access um, a device and that's really um, has improved their mental health um, throughout this process. If they'd had that tool in the kind of early stages, it might have, um, you know, have helped to keep them feeling more connected to people and not as withdrawn and isolated. So I think that's like a kind of general snapshot of the kind of changes we've been seeing for people with learning disabilities. Thank you, and I think that's a really important insight into not just how people can, it can impact people in terms of not being able to access things, but actually the kind of 
all round impact that that can have on people for their their mental health and their and their independence. Um, so we'll move on now to the third provocation. So that is, how can we ensure that people who aren't online but don't want to be aren't excluded um, as we kind of move through the pandemic and increasingly everything is is still staying online? I think um, one of the, I suppose, key lines in our team is that uh, digital, digital isn't and can't be the answer for everyone. Uh, it's just simply not. It is, it can, is so much potential to be life enhancing and really improve the quality of people's lives, which is why we have a digital inclusion team. Uh, but you also have to recognise that it isn't it isn't for everyone. Uh, some people simply just don't want to be online and we have to we have to respect that. Uh, and I think it comes down to how we design our services or public services or services in the voluntary sector, that it can't just be a digital option. There needs to be other routes and other ways to access services and access support. Um, and I think, you know, we do a lot of work uh, upskilling and training digital champions. And one of the most common fears that we get from uh, people is that digital will replace uh, the human human factor uh, in interactions and digital, as I say, is great, but it is, again, it's not a substitution for uh, human interactions. Um, so it's thinking about how, how we can use digital as an enabler to enhance services. Uh, but not use it as, as something that's going to replace um, kind of more traditional approaches to services. Um, I can say a little bit about um, about that as well. Um, I think in terms of for people with learning disabilities, information online isn't always um, people's chosen format um, and it can be quite difficult for people to access um, or understand. And I think it's important that we ensure that support organisations working locally are providing information to people um, with learning disabilities, for example, in an easy read format. Um, at SCLD throughout the, the pandemic, we've produced several documents for NHS Inform, um, which are available on our website and can be shared with people with learning disabilities. I would add to that, though, that for many people with learning disabilities, um, there can be a challenge to understand and retain information. So it's not just about handing somebody an easy read document and expecting that they'll take on that information. It's about providing that person with the support um, to retain to retain that information. I think for many people with learning disabilities as well, another really important tool is the television. And a lot of people with learning disabilities throughout the pandemic have told us that the television was a really important resource for them to get information daily and I think it's just important that we remember that as we move forward that people with learning disabilities face considerable barriers to accessing information online and we need to look at um, making sure there are also alternatives available. Thank you Anna. Um, Kirsty are you wanting to speak to that? Uh, for us at the foyer we have faced quite a lot of people for a variety of different reasons that aren't interested in being online or have fears of being online lots of different ages and people with different backgrounds who feel this and we've basically had to see what options that are out there and just try and give every option we possibly can whether that is um, different online platforms over the phone um, by text or face to face Obviously, at the moment, face to face is extremely reduced, but as much as we can, if um, people we're working with are in difficult situations, we'll be attending as a doorstep visit to try and give support that way. 
or even a doorstep visit to drop off food or um, or a laptop, which we've been doing quite a lot. Um, and now we're starting to try and get back into allotment working. So our volunteers are back doing allotment working and one or two group members from different projects are able to do that now as well. Um, and they're all people who we couldn't get online. And so we're just trying to find what works for people and it is different for everybody. Thank you. So we'll move on now to the fourth provocation. So that is talking about those who do want to be online but aren't at the moment. So what support is needed to help to get them online or back online if they were previously? I can jump in with that one. Um, the FOI have done a lot of work. Uh, we got money from the Wellbeing Fund to give out laptops, phones, SIM cards and dongles to try and get as many people as we could online um, with you know three month contracts so that they aren't worrying about that. And we would give those devices to them completely set up. So even if they didn't have the knowledge to set up a laptop or, or a phone, it was there basically plug it in and, and you're sorted. And I think that made a big difference to people as well who wanted to do it, but just didn't know where to start. And I think that's made a major difference to people. Um, as well, we've been doing the Make It Click training with staff that they know, so staff that were already supporting them, inviting them to either one-to-one -one or group online training and all working together, I think has been a major thing for people who were scared to come on Zoom and just weren't sure how everything worked. Um, as soon as one or two people were involved and we were able to share experiences with them and they knew that it was going to be someone who they trusted who was supporting them through it, it made a major difference. And I think it is just all about giving people that confidence to try it and to know that if you make a mistake with a computer it's it's not broken it's going to be okay and that was a major thing for people as well um i think for for us on this it's um for many people with learning disabilities i think a lot of the time the support they need to get online you know as, as kirsty says involves more than an internet connection they need to be able to access the technology itself but also support to set up devices and learn how to use several applications for example facebook and zoom and I think as, as Kirsty's identified, there's been lots of positive examples of this. Another positive example I can think of is the work that Glasgow Disability Alliance has done um, throughout the pandemic of getting um, tablets and devices to people with disabilities. But I think as we move forward, more resources and time will be required to ensure that people with learning disabilities in Scotland have the same access to digital devices on the same basis as others. Yeah, I think from our point of view uh, in terms of helping people get online, there's probably a few, I say probably golden rules or guiding principles that we uh, that we would probably follow. Um, and I think it touches on a lot of what you were talking about, Kirsty, and the work that you do. Um, so probably uh, to start off with just understanding your your users' needs first of all, um, and what's uh, what do they actually want to get out of being online, what's their aspirations and motivations. Um, and also what kind of device actually uh, will best suit their needs. Um, I think also just bear in mind that getting online is a journey. It's not something that happens in a day or a week. Uh, it takes time to build skills and confidence with someone. Uh, we always talk about finding the hook. Uh, so that's kind of linking into the learner's motivation. So what, 
what's going to hook them into want to continue this journey of getting online and that could be something for example looking up different plants if you've got an interest in horticulture um that's just one example uh, but also keeping the learning uh we would say frequent and informal uh so you don't need to run formal it classes uh in fact a lot of uh, what we've done in the past has suggested that actually formalized learning settings uh, and it classes put people off and um, it should be more informal it should be person-centered um also don't reinvent the wheel uh, there are so many great resources out there um, that you can tap into to help people get online and help build their confidence um, so there's lots that you can draw on uh, and probably another golden rule uh, for us would be uh, to always prioritize online safety um, and that's the one that you're not increasing vulnerability which is a common fear that comes out uh, of the training room with a lot of digital champions um, but also because learners actually have a lot of uh, fears about going online as well uh, about having their identity stolen um, or about being scammed. So it's about really being clear about how you keep yourself online as well um, to help overcome some of those barriers and fears. Thank you. Um, I think you've all got quite different perspectives on that. So it's really good to get kind of rounded in um, a rounded view on that. Um, so the fifth provocation is how can we ensure that the pace of delivery and flexibility that was proven possible during the pandemic is maintained in the future? Um, and is this really realistic or are there other ways to maintain that support for people? Um, I can say a bit about that. Um, I think during the pandemic and the subsequent lockdown, we saw things move at a, pay, you know, a really fast pace and in the early stages, an impressive amount of community cohesion in terms of ensuring a crisis response. Um, but I would say that um, in our survey that we, um, we published this year, people with learning disabilities told us that in the main that they could access support from volunteer groups during the pandemic. However, I wouldn't say that that means that, that the attempts to, you know, move groups online and have a crisis response wasn't successful. Instead, I would say that they have been, but that we shouldn't see the responses that we made in crisis as a new model of service delivery, nor should it be a replacement to people's support pre-COVID. Instead, I th should think Sorry. Instead, I think we should look at what worked and merge that with what was working before COVID. It will be critical that we work with people with learning disabilities to hear what they think about what's worked for them um, and what will work for them in the future. I absolutely agree with that. Um, I actually took this question to some of my service users because it's there's not much point in us answering this question because in a way, um, it might be easier for us and quicker for us to do our groups online and all work from home and not have to go and meet up. But the reality of it, as you're saying, is that support doesn't replace what we were. Um, and it does mean that we can include more people in a room than physically possible at the moment due to restrictions. And as those restri restrictions change as time goes on, it might still mean that it's a way to have more people involved in a session, but absolutely it is all going to be about how we merge this together. So my group, for example, have said it would be great that if we could only have two group members in a room at a time to have a laptop at the end of that table with the other 10 of them still joining in with that session. And I think every single service is going to be different again it's going to be hard to make these decisions but the important thing is that we don't try and do it as fast as we had to do it 
when we had to go online because we need to take time to make sure that we include as many people as we can and take back in those people who have been excluded throughout this process as well. Um, it's been a very successful transition to what we are now, but the next stages are really, really important to get right, I think. Yeah, I completely agree with both of you. I think um, I don't know that we'll ever uh, we'll ever have the same pace that we had the first few months of lockdown. It was an incredibly accelerated period of time in terms of service developments. Um, but I think the landscape now is probably showing us what is possible. Uh, and I think it's looking at what's possible and what we've achieved, which probably, you know, might have taken years to achieve. Um, if lockdown wasn't forced upon us, uh, taking the best of that and learning from that uh, and learning about where the gaps were and, as you say, where the exclusions were um, and looking at what we did before lockdown and then using that to find a way forward that actually means everyone can be included. Because uh, certainly, you know, there, there were winners and there were losers in terms of being able to access services uh, from lockdown and we can't, we need to make sure all services are accessible to everyone. So how how do we learn from this accelerated period of change during lockdown um, and use that to inform service delivery now going forward uh, with some kind of blended approach or hybrid approach of remote delivery and actual pre-lockdown delivery? Thank you. And um, that brings us on to the last provocation, which I think you've all kind of spoken about in the last one, but um, we'll go ahead with it anyway. So virtually overnight, the entire world moved online. Um, what does this mean for the third sector and those we support as we move into the future? I think for us, it presents a real challenge and an opportunity, um, both you know for us, SCLB and the wider sector. Um, I think finding meaningful ways to engage with people with learning disabilities who are digitally excluded um, at the present time to ensure that they inform decision making is a real challenge and, and something that we've got to kind of continually work towards. And we've done a lot of work over the pandemic to ensure that we've got a Facebook group called SCLD Stay in Touch and we have regular contact with um, a number of people with learning disabilities across Scotland. Um, however, I think we do need to continue to look at creative solutions around engagement and that will that will go for ourselves and the wider sector. Um, one of the, the positives in a way of the situation I do think is that coronavirus has shown a light on um, the inequality experienced by people with learning disabilities and has posed the question around how we address that inequality um, and I hope that's something that we continue to build on and, and examine closer as we move forward. I think for us Absolutely, there has been challenges involved in it and going forward it, it, it will pose a lot more questions for us. But the most important thing, I think that it's shown us that we can have and make major changes when we might not have had the confidence to do beforehand. If someone had turned around to us and said last December, you'll be working completely remotely online most of us would have turned around and said, no, we won't be, you know, but we've done it and it's shown us that we can make changes and we can do that successfully. So hopefully it'll give us the confidence in the future to not so quickly say that something's impossible. Yeah, I think um, one of the things, one of my takeaways from all of this is that the boundaries of geography uh, no longer matter as much in terms of how we 
connect people or bring people together. And um, so, you know, whereas before lockdown, we would we would have delivered uh, digital inclusion sessions kind of based on geography in a certain area. Now you've got the benefit of bringing people from all over Scotland together um, at one time. So just in terms of how how people learn from each other and how you can, you know, improve access based on geography is, you know, only one of the many ways we can look to improve access to services. But uh, it's that whole thing of, you know, whereas maybe events or certain things were maybe centered around uh, more urban areas or the towns and cities, uh, in terms of geography, uh, for those that are digitally included as well, that is no longer as much of a barrier. Um, so that's kind of that's one of my positive spins of uh, improved access and one one factor. Um, but I think it's it's interesting. All right, thank you all for um, bringing your views to the table and joining us today. That was really helpful. You can find the Alliance Live podcast on all major podcast streaming services, including Spotify, Apple Podcasts and more. Alliance Live also produce webinars, video interviews and case studies. Watch these by visiting www.alliance-scotland.org.uk forward slash live. To follow along regularly with Alliance Live content, use the hashtag Alliance Live on Twitter.